This is the BTP Podcast. First time listeners, if you could hook us up with a five-star review on your listening platform or the highest rating you can give us and leave us a review that is pleasant. There is always a sticker in it for anyone who sends us a screenshot of their rating at BigTurkeyPodcast at gmail.com. Today, we will be discussing the Kingsbury Torso Killer, a.k.a. the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. A neighborhood in Cleveland, Ohio. The torso murderer was unidentified, a, a, a unidentified serial killer who was active in Cleveland, Ohio in the 1930s. The killings were determined by the dismemberment of 12 victims and the disposal of their remains in neighborhood of Kingsbury Run. Although there was only 12 victims found, it is possible there were more. I have 13. I, have I had 13, 13 originally, down. but... There was one that was like I knocked off because my other research platforms that I looked up because I looked it up on three websites. You must have looked it up at the same website I looked up originally, but then I went to the Cleveland Police. Okay, so I have written down killed thirteen people, possibly twenty. Yeah, That's so what I in between down. twelve and twenty. Enough. Twelve confirmed. That thirteenth I don't think was confirmed, or it might have been. Maybe I'm off. We'll see. We'll see. How More than he should have. I've got the. More than anyone should. Well. In the way, in the fashion that he did it. Yeah, pretty gruesome. Okay. Had, uh, before we researched this, you had no idea about this one? No. Sure How about you? Know. I've heard of it, but I had no idea what it was. Yeah, I didn't realize how close it was. So, only two of the 12 victims were identified. I have th- three. I have three written down. Seven three of identified. the men, seven men and five women were discovered. Okay. Yes. Police today and from the past believe they know who the killer was. All right. So they think they know who it was, but they can never confirm it. Technically. We'll talk. We'll talk about that at the end. Suspects. Over the course of four years, in 1934, all of them found headless, and most of them, well, they were, <laughs> their heads were decapitated while they were still alive. So somebody chopped their heads off as they were living. The safety director, Elliot Ness, which you'll hear his name. Well, I've got a big paragraph on yep. Elliot Ness. Yep. He brought down the untouchables. Yeah. He's, he's big in the Very the, shiny the Old reputation. gangster. Yeah. yeah. Except for this, because he yeah, never yeah, solved he, the murder. Well, he also did some other shitty stuff well, yeah, with this. Yeah. So Elliot Ness claimed to have solved the crimes, but no suspect was identified, and no one was brought to trial. The murders ended abruptly as they started to this day the kingsbury run murders remain one of the most gruesome cases in cleveland's history except the fire on the river that was a joke laugh that was pretty good (laughs) (laughs) kingsbury (laughs) kingsbury run is a riverbed running from the flats uh, to east 90th street to many people that will not make any sense it was just a, a big area where poor people lived and i mean poor people they were it was yeah, Hooverville. This, this was during the depression yes so so there was a train there were train transit trucks that still run through the road it bordered on the north side by woodland avenue and the south side by broadway avenue so if you're ever in the neighborhood 
you're standing upon where gruesome murders took place. Trash and filth filled the makeshift quote-unquote hobo jungle. Hobo jungle. the That occupied much of the run. These people, most of them momentarily, often rode the rails to escape the brutal Cleveland winter. Or simply just to keep moving. The area just east of the run was known as the Roaring Third. Do you know what the Roaring Third is? Did you find any of that in your research? Yes. Okay. So, we'll collaborate. The Roaring Third was home to bars, whorehouses, flop houses, and gambling dens. The area is where the murders of most of the gruesome murders took place. Well, you got to think about this. Like, you know, me and you, we can walk in our living room and watch TV. We can, you know, play video games. We can play on our phones. Back then, they didn't have those things. So you got to think that places like brothels, gambling, <laughs> stuff like that was probably much more popular. Well, and I mean, it, wasn't, it still is today, but... It wasn't still frowned upon. Like, now, yeah. like, they've gotten where it's like, oh, you're a terrible person for doing all that. What the hell is a flop house? Uh, I don't know, but my dad uses that reference all the time. <laughs> Pretty sure that's another word for a whorehouse. Maybe. Well, why don't you Google it while we keep talking? Interrupt us when you find it out. Is okay. that all right? All right. Get a virus, you owe me money. <laughs> so, so we're going to jump right into a timeline. Are you ready all for right. this? Yes, I am. September 1934. A young man finds the lower half of a woman's torso. Thigh still attached, but uh, amputated at the knees. It washed up on the shores of Lake Erie, just east of Brotonall, the Cuyahoga County coroner, A.J. Pierce, noted some sort of chemical preservation on the skin, which had turned it red, tough and leathery. All right. So find she, out? Was, she was found on September 5th with no head and pretty well chopped Imagine up. being that, that poor yeah. kid that found, yeah, that, that found that. That's PTSD written all over it. At first, I don't know if this was the same one, but at first he thought it was a large fish on the, on the yeah, sand. Yeah, I, I saw that. It was a flop house, Griffin. You could have read it. I hope we don't have a flop house is also known as a DOS house. A DOS house is considered a derogatory term for a place that offers very low-cost lodging. It's okay, like a motel yeah, six. So my dad's been using it right. <laughs> is that what he calls your house? Well, you'll be like, I don't know. You'll be sitting on the couch like kind of funny or like eating Cheetos or something. And he'll just walk in and be like, this isn't a flop house on the west side. <laughs> so like, oh, okay. Sorry, dad. Okay, yep, so the next murder, or no, the next known murder, happened September nineteen thirty-five. Do you have a specific date on that? I have September twenty-third, nineteen thirty-five. Two so. two teenage boys discovered the decapitated, emasculated corpse of a white. Did I say that right? Emasculated. <laughs> he didn't have a wiener. Yeah, uh, at at the base of Jackass Hill where 49th Street dead ends into the Kingsbury Run. The body was naked, cleaned, and drained of blood. There was rope burns around both wrists. So here, Jackass Hill is an actual hill. That's a real yeah. place. That's yeah. not made up. Uh, that was a year later. So in between that year, obviously at that second one, they're like starting to cue together like something's going on. But a year passes, so a lot of people are like, Oh, it's just another fluke. Yep. Many, it also, something that ran through my mind. Some people, there was theories on this being somebody that just 
ran the train, also like worked on the train, pushed the so it could have been a coal driver, the guys yeah. that dumped the coal. Also, we had steam sh- or little steam engine ships or whatever that ran from the Ohio River up through the Little Rivers all the way to the actual steamboats. You mean not steam? Well, they, steam yeah. Well, they weren't. When you think steamboat, you think of these giant boats. They weren't okay, so as were, big. They were steam-powered boats. Though. Yes. Okay. So the coroner on this murder determined that the cause of death had been decapitation. Yes. Fingerprints identified the victim as Edward Androssi. Is that who you got? Yes, but... A 20-year-old white male. Um, I have another victim found on that day. Hold on. We're going Okay, there, okay. Still. Yep. He had an arrest record and was rumored to be a homosexual. I don't know how that's written in the report. Like, hey, was this guy, uh, was he a homosexual? Like, was that a, was that a question asked or did someone's like, oh, yeah, that's Edward. Uh, you know, Edward hangs out at that other brothel down the street. Yeah. With all guys. <laughs> the other one. So he had the arrest record. Police discovered the second body nearby, also decapitated, emasculated, and it appeared to be covered with the same chemical preservation as the Lady of the Lake. The body apparently had been dead for at least a couple of weeks. The 40-year-old white male was never identified. So that's, I think right there, maybe the second one wouldn't have been like, oh, it's a serial killer. Boom, boom, the back-to-back. So that's three. They're like, okay. And I guess uh, if you're investigating a torso murder, like the the cut-up woman in the first one or the cut-up male, you're like, wait a second. You won't forget that when the second and third one happens back to back. Whether the guy had just dropped, who or the woman, whoever, because it wasn't identified, whether they dropped them in the middle of the lake and they just lost to shore, or if they placed them strategically around. Right. January 1936. So very cold Cleveland day. January 26th. That's my 1936. Yeah. A woman discovers about... Half the body of a female, nearly nearly wrapped in newspaper, packed in two half bushel baskets. Oh my gosh! The baskets were left alongside of Hart Manufacturing Building on Central Avenue, near East Twentieth Street. Everything except the head was recovered. About ten days later, in a vacant lot nearby Orange Avenue, the case of Edward, the one who had died, the was that September before. So the September before January, the cause of death had been decapitation. Yep. So I'm assuming they never identified her. Uh, her name was Florence. Okay. Yes. She was very well known around the Roaring Third as a waitress, a prostitute, and um, a few other things. She was very well known around the Roaring Third. So the killer had either waited for rigor mortis to set in or was distracted before he got to cut the rest of the body up because that had not happened before in the prior cases fingerprints again would allow the identifications of Florence what is it yes her name's Florence Okay, Florence the waitress barmaid and prostitute at the time of her death she lived at East 23rd just like you said right at the edge of the Roaring Third so our notes collaborate that is wonderful do you have the next date of the next murder? I do. June 5th, 1936. Okay. Do you have any notes on that? Um, it says here that in my notes, they had found a head, ma- a man's head wrapped in his own pants. 
um, okay. just kind of on the side of the road. Yep. And then I have here on a side note that um, they later found the body a couple days later, and the body was in front of the police station. So yeah, the killer's so, getting a little ballsy there. Okay, and I'll collaborate on my notes at the end of this. Because at this point, Elliot Ness was already investigating people. But I don't talk about I go through all this timeline, and then I jump yep. into the other point of view from the police department. So June 1936, early one morning in Kingsbury Run, two young boys discovered the head of a white male wrapped in a pair of pants, just like you said, close to East 50th Street. East 55th Street. Police found the body of the 20-some-year-old man the next day dumped in front of the Nickel Plate Railroad Police Building, clean and drained of the blood. The corpse was intact except for the head. Pierce, again, Pierce is the uh, county morgue. Or, yeah, the... Yeah, the... Mortician. Yeah, mortician. Pierce again determined that the death had been death by decapitation while still living. Despite the fresh set of fingerprints and the presence of six distinct tattoos so this dude had six distinct tattoos on various body parts police could never identify the victim yeah and um, they so weird thing uh, uh, here yeah a plaster reproduction of the man's head along with a diagram of the man's location of tattoos and tattoo displays were made for the great lakes exposition in 1936 more than 100,000 people saw the death mask and the tattoos. In July 1936, a teenage girl came across the Clinton Road. So this is another one. But so they displayed this. This they were like, "Hey, who is this?" At a basically a fair. Yeah. Um. Basically, a lot of these went. Uh, I misspoke there. A lot of these victims went un- unidentified. This guy was just referred to as the Tattoo Man. Um, yeah. If you look at his tattoos, it kind of suggests that maybe he was in the Navy at one point, but you can't prove it. Isn't it crazy how they can't? I mean, they got all these people. Yeah, I and mean. two were identified. Yeah. Two. Three. Three. Well, you have three. Okay. What do you think, Griffin? Uh, Griffin, what do, what do your notes say? <laughs> yeah. What do you think of them displaying the, the head, the casted head? In the tattoos, do you think that was a good idea to try to identify it, or do you I, think that's weird? Because personally, think it's I see both. Kind of sketchy. They're like, you go to this fair, they're like, okay, this is a light bulb. Click, click, light bulb turns on, and this is a dead man's head. Do you know who this is? Like, <laughs> something like, you know what I mean? It's kind of weird, like, right? But it, I, guess I feel it's like a, they would file, like they would notice somebody missing though. Well, you got to think this was during the depression. A lot of people didn't either have money, and a lot of people Off were homeless at yeah. the time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're almost untrackable. Yeah. July 1936, a teenage girl came across the Clinton Road in the Big Creek on the near west side. The victim had been a dead for about two months. Oh, my gosh. And his head, as well as his, the pile of bloody clothing, was found nearby. Judging by the enormous quantity of blood that had seeped into the ground, this man apparently had been killed where his body was found. Yep. So that's a little different from the rest yeah that's a slightly different so this could be this is what i thought when i read through this i'm like is this connected or this is so different from the uh previous clean cuts and everything could this be a copycat possibly is what i'm saying or how do we know we you know we don't know 100 percent sure this was the same guy they could all be copycats for all we know who knows so september 1936 september 6th 1936 a 
transit trips over the upper half of a man's torso while trying to hop a train. So some other homeless man tripped over the top of a torso while dropping, right, trying to jump on a train on East 37th Street and Kingsbury Run. Police searched nearby and found that there was a sewer and found the lower half of the torso with both parts of the legs. Police sent the diver in to make the recovery. Victim number six was in his late 20s, cause of death, decapitation. The head had been cut off and one bold, clean stroke. And this is in the police report where it says that. The victim died instantly. Oh, God. Identification was never made. So, yeah. Hope you, ah, this is so gruesome. You cut somebody's head off. Yeah. They're going to pretty. I mean, one clean blow is you're going to die. But this guy's now, at this point, is becoming very familiar with cutting off heads. Well, mm, how we hard have so do you much have to, to discuss about the suspects? Oh, we're I not even I got there. my guy. Because if you look at his background, I think he would have the know-how to. Oh, yeah. Six brutal killings in one year, and the police had neither no clues or no suspects. The Cleveland Press, the Cleveland News, and the Cleveland Plain Dealer all reported almost daily on the killings and the lack of suspect. Tension was high, and the lead investigator was on the hot seat, is from what I read in the yep. news. I mean, you got a, a, a you know a crazed killer doing this kind of nasty stuff. I'd be pretty. I'd be like, guys, come on, come on, no lead. Why are you guys sitting here eating donuts? <laughs> so the guy who was known as the Mad Butcher, assuming it's a man of Kingsbury Run, who was he? Giving in to more pressure from the mayor, Harold Burton, recently appointed safety director Elliot Ness gets more involved in the case. Corner Pierce calls for what the newspapers dub as a torso clinic. A meeting of a, of the police, the coroner, and other ex- experts to discuss information to profile somebody who could be responsible for these gruesome killings. Are we done talking about the victim list? No. Okay. Oh, we still got many more. Okay. The police department put detectives Peter Merlo and Martin Zwiski. <laughs> I'm sorry, that last name. Zilewski is the last name on the case full time they go undercover to the underworld of the run and the roaring third dressing the part often and often on their own time no these guys were hitting the brothels what was happening this is why this did, is why it wasn't getting solved did you see the picture the, pi- the picture of him undercover no he looks like such a cartoon character like he just looks like he just crawled out of like <laughs> a Bugs Bunny he's got like the stick with a bag on yes. it and like he just looks by the case, that's funny. By the, t- the by the time the case had run its course, the two had interviewed more than fifteen hundred people. Holy crap! The department was a, ho- oh my gosh, the department as a whole interviewed more than five thousand. This would be the biggest police investigation in Cleveland, ever to yep. this point. The November elections return Harold Burton as mayor. The corner Pierce is replaced by with his degree in uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Corner Pierce is replaced by the young Democrat and new legendary Sam Gerber. Gerber's fierce dedication to medicine along with his degree in law put him in the forefront of the investigation. On to the next murder. February 1937. A man finds the upper half of a woman's torso washed up 
on shore east of the lake. Okay, so this was this was February twenty third, um, nineteen thirty seven. Um, Unlike all previous victims, the cause of death had not been by decapitation. This had happened after she was already dead. Um, the lower half of her torso washed ashore three months later, near East Thirtieth Street. The woman was in her mid twenties. She was never identified. Notice how they're all in their mid twenties. Yes, and if you write, if you look, um, the, so this victim from February twenty third was found in the same exact location as the very first victim from I did September. Not have that written down. Fifth. Um, I actually had down written down that they had never found her head, but I guess you found that they did find it. They washed the shore later okay, on. Okay. Did she get identified? No. Ever. Okay. So that was February twenty third. Next, the two we already, the two that I have identified. That's it at the beginning of the case. That is I, I have okay. So I have the next one then. Okay. That's the next. June nineteen thirty seven. A teenage boy discovered a human skull under the Lorraine Coronage Bridge. Mm-hmm. Next to it was a burlap bag containing a skeletal skeletal remains of what turned into be a petite black woman about forty years old. This is different. This is different from all the victims. Dental work allowed for the unofficial identification of one Rose Wallace of Scaval Avenue. Police followed every lead they had on her, but they led nowhere. So that one is identified. So it is okay. three. So you have three then. This one really might not. This does not match any description of what I have of all the other victims. So this one is the rogue, like, uh, yeah, this considering one she is was black of... and the rest of them were white. And I know the circumstance, but in theory. Yep. July 1937, so one month later, there were labor problems in the flats that summer, and the National Guard had been called in to maintain order. A young guardman was standing watch on West 3rd Street Bridge. He saw the first piece of the victim number nine in the wake of the passing tugboat. Over the next few days, police had recovered the entire body, except for the head. From the waters of the Cuyahoga River, the abdomen had been gutted and the heart was ripped out, clearly indicating a new element of viciousness. The killer of killers and the killer's approach. The victim was in his mid to late thirties. He was never identified. Notice how the victims now, not that you would tell. So the the black woman and then him are now almost forty or around the age of forty instead also, of mid twenties. In the water. Yes. In the river instead of the lake. Yeah. Oh, there's probably such a hard, like, watch on the lake at this point. Oh, yeah. April 1938. We're coming towards the end of the murders. So a couple more to go. A young worker on his way back to work in the flats. What he first thought was a dead fish along the banks of the Cuyahoga River. Closer inspection revealed the lower half of a woman's leg. The first piece of victim number 10. A month later, police pulled up two burlap sacks out of the river containing both parts of the torso and most of the rest of both of her legs. Notice how we say most. For the first time, Coroner Gerber detected drugs in the system. Were the drugs used to immobilize the victim or was she an addict? The answer might come when they found the arms. They never did. She was never identified. Which makes me kind of wonder. It just, when I looked it up, it just said drugs. So I don't know if they're talking about, like, 
marijuana or cocaine. I was thinking or... me- with the main suspect, which we will get to, I was thinking medical-induced drugs. Oh, well, I'm glad we have the same main victim. Oh, that's not my main victim. That's their main, our our main, main suspect. That's not yours? Mm. <clears throat> we'll get to it. Okay. August sixteenth, nineteen thirty-eight. See, that's the only one I have the actual date for. Three scraps, scrap collectors forging in the dump site of East Ninth and Lakeside found the torso of a woman wrapped in a man's blue blazer, and then wrapped again in an old quilt. The legs and arms were discovered in a, a recently constructed makeshift box, wrapped in a brown butcher butcher paper held together with rubber bands the head had been similarly wrapped Gerber noted Gerber as the morgue noted that some of the parts looked as if they might have been refrigerated while searching for more pieces the police discovered the remains of the second body only yards away these two bodies had been placed in the location that was in plain view of Elliot Ness's office window and I have other parts to this so do I Almost as if taunting him. Both victims, number 11 and 12, were never identified. August 18th, 1938, at 12.40 a.m. This is my favorite part. Elliot Ness and a group of 35 police officers and detectives raid the hobo drunkles. They raid them. 11 squad cars, 2 police cars, 3 fire trucks, and two police vans descended on the large cluster of makeshift shacks on the Cuyahoga River, twist behind the public square. Ness and the raiders worked their way through the run, eventually gathering up 63 men at dawn. Police and firefighters searched the deserted shanties for clues. Then, on orders from safety director Ness, the shacks were set on fire and burned to the ground. This may seem like an evil act of Ness, and this put him in the spotlight to be put down as a city spectator. The press, so, yeah, so the press severely criticized Ness for his actions. The public was afraid and frustrated. Critics said the raid would do nothing to solve the murders. They were right. For whatever reason, they did stop. Also, on top of that, so they round up the 63 men. H- homeless. Yes. Men. And then he, tr- he, he puts them all in jail. He charges all 63 men with a crime of being homeless. And on their way to the jail, he's like, all right, burn it down. Scorched earth. <coughs> screw these guys. And Elliot Ness was pretty cutthroat when it came yeah. to this oh, shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. You'll see, you'll see that later. How he July 1939, County Sheriff Martin O'Donnell was ar- arrested 52-year-old bohemian bricklayer Frank Dozzle for the Dozzle. murder for the murder of Flo Pilio. Okay, so they arrested Frank Dolezal for murdering, it looks like. um, What victim? Was that two or three or four? January 26, 1936. So our, what, fourth victim? The waitress, Florence. So this one was, she lived, so he had lived with her for a while. Yes. And he, during the investigation, revealed that he had been acquainted with Edward. Another murder visitor and Rose Wallace. Yep, his confession was a lie. He was beaten so badly he admitted that he had murdered them. Um, he actually suffered, which happens in a lot of these cases. He actually suffered six broken ribs um, while he was in the sheriff's care, and <laughs> he then fell. and then he confessed. 
too. Um, but what kind of throws me off is he was arrested in 39, and our last killing was in 38. So, I mean, it took them from August to... I don't have the date of when he was arrested, but it, it you know, took him at least half a year to get someone. Yes. Um, but yeah, they had, they had, they basically beat him into confessing. Most investigators consider the last murder have to be, have been in 1938. One suspected individual was Dr. Francis E. Sweeney. Hello, are we done talking about Frank? Do go on. What do you have about Frank? Okay, so Frank actually recanted his statement yeah. um, about about the murders, but they kept him in jail. Yeah, I was just naming the, the um, next few suspects just, just to give off some ideas. Okay, so they actually kept Frank in jail for the murder of Florence. Well, while he's in his, cell, in his cell awaiting trial, he hangs himself. Oh, my God. But... It's kind of there's a small conspiracy behind it because Frank hung himself from a hook that was five seven, and Frank was five nine, so uh, he would have had to be really committed to hang himself from something that he was taller. I didn't than see that. this note. He got me stumped so, on this one. Um, what do you think of this so far? We're not even done. This is not even. We haven't described the f- other suspects. I'm I'm just lost. There are so many. There, there's a lot. There's, there's a lot so of moving much parts stuff. In this. Yeah, um, you're right on that. You hit the so head on that. So he ends up hanging himself, and the coroners were like, um, "Okay, so this happened. He hung himself from something that he's taller than. Excuse me." And um, somebody also the, could have thought, thinking that someone was being the hero. Well, guardsman was like, okay, "Well, so this guy killed many people. I'm just gonna help the world out." Here's kind of my thoughts on it: that they were like, "Okay, we got our guy arrested. The public shut up. Here we go." And then they're about to put him on trial, and they don't have any real evidence, and so they're just like, "Okay, we gotta whack this guy, take him out." Yeah. So when and you it look- had been nearly when he got arrested, so the last murder was in August, 1938. He was arrested in July, 1939. So. All right. it, they consider you, mm, you about know. a year. So, but here's some others. Are you ready for me to drop a hammer? Yes. One suspected individual, Doctor Francis E. Sweeney. Remember the name. Sweeney was a veteran of World War One. Thank <coughs> you for your service, Sweeney. <coughs> Guilty. <laughs> you don't know this. He was never convicted oh, no. or charged in America. You're not guilty until proven guilty. He was a part of a medical unit that conducted amputations in the field. Sweeney was later personally interviewed by Elliot Ness, who oversaw the official investigation into the killings and his capacity as Cleveland safety director. The day later, the body showed up facing Elliot Ness's office. Okay. Did you see the part where Elliot got him in the hotel? No. Okay, so... More importantly, a day after he was questioned, the cut-up torsos of two people right. facing his office. So let, let me go over this real quick. cover-up for the killer. The killer may have heard it. Maybe it was an inside job. Out. Okay, maybe it Listen. was. Sweeney was Elliot Ness's secret suspect. He never let anyone know that Sweeney was a suspect in this case. Oh, there's, there's, okay. there's more fucking shit is, to this. This is back before Miranda writes. So oh. Elliot Ness actually catches Sweeney out one day, beats him, drags him into a hotel, 
alright, and keeps him captive for 14 days. It took Sweeney... Listen, hold on, I'll drop a name. You want me to drop a name? You don't, well, let me don't get to this. it. Let me finish Congressman this. Martin L. Sweeney Yes. is why a lot of this... Uh, hold on, we'll get to this. Let me pause you. So you did get to the hotel. During interrogation, Sweeney is said to have failed to pass two very early polygraph machine tests, which aren't reliable anyways, but they think they are. Both tests were administrated by a polygraph expert known as Leonard Keller, Keeler, sorry, who was told Ness ha- he had his man. After Afterwards, a head was found facing Ness's office, in my notes. So, nevertheless, Ness apparently felt there was a little chance of obtaining successful prosecution of the doctor, especially his as his first cousin, one of Ness's political opponents at the time, mm-hmm. Congressman Martin L. Sweeney. Yep. So politics mm, play a big role in this. Ness who hounded to... Ness publicly about the failure to catch the killer. Ness had to tread very lightly because he could, if, if he, he if he mentioned that this other uh, the Dr. Sweeney, Francis E. Sweeney was a suspect, Congressman Martin L. Sweeney would have had his job. Yep, from my understanding. Yep. After Sweeney committed himself to a mental institution, there were no more leads or connections that police could uh, could assign to him as a possible suspect. From his hospital confinement, threatening postcards in Sweeney's name mocked and harassed Ness and his families in ni- into the 1950s. Sweeney's, Sweeney died in the Veterans Hospital in Dayton in 1964. I looked up some of these postcards... They're they're ramblings. They're nonsense. Did you you can't make them out on the side, but there were numbers and stuff that that, that, that you it's, could it's dig a into. scribbled message. Okay, so Sweeney, I've written down that Sweeney. I have um, more. I have a I paid more. A terrible alcoholic. Um, his wife at the time. Granted, was, at yeah. the time, everybody was. Um, his wife reported that he would often abuse her. And their children, and would neglect his practice. He was a doctor, oh, yeah. he, and like he wouldn't listen, show up at the times of the between 1934 and 1938. While he was not institutionalized, mm-hmm. he would leave his practice almost at the times of the killings for weeks at a time. Yeah, he where would, he, he would he just like, disappear. Yeah, all no, the time. I don't know if it was weeks. I'm sorry, days. But he obviously. Sending those letters and postcards to Ness at the time. I watched the show that talked about this. This is where I, I got this from on the TV. I had never heard of this. But they were like, yeah, at the time they don't realize now many serial killers do the tauntingness. And that is what classifies the serial killer, like the crazy. He taunted him. Oh, yeah. This yeah, was before the Zodiac. This was before the Dahmer. This was before. This before was before, Bundy, before all of them. It. So that, that this guy, Sweeney, you think is a hundred percent the man? Oh, I'd guarantee it. What do you think after the information we just led? I think it's Sweeney. After there, investigating there's, there's Sweeney, and giving a polygraph there's still test. Still more. There's still more. Hold on, we're not we're not there yet. After giving the polygraph, those heads showing up facing the office. Tell me that's not like. Well, he caught him, beat him in the hotel. So I don't up, I don't then, have that info. I didn't find that. Yeah, well, that's where he got the you, polygraph. Hold on, let me source my website real quick. That's when he got the polygraph tests. Was that was the same him, time. That's when he so, had him in the hotel. Real fast, I'm going to sort my 
places so you guys can all go look up clevelandlandpolicemuseum.org okay that's my main one okay yeah. okay i had more written down mine all comes from youtube i just typed in the cleveland butcher and just started watching videos and as i'm watching videos i'm taking notes it kind of drove me crazy though because so we don't know if that him beating the fuck out of him in the hotel was real he obviously was questioned maybe that's what it was but we don't know it could be with the fact that somebody had been hanged you never know so i uh, sorry i dropped my notes it's okay um please do go on what, what else you got did you see the morgue this was after pierce no, this is with Sweeney. Did you see the morgue? No. Where, okay, so this is kind of where a little bit of it comes together. So obviously a lot of these victims weren't, you know, butchered where they stood. They had to be butchered right. somewhere. And he w- had a practice, though. He right? had a practice, but right next to his practice was a morgue. And he talked to the morgue, and there's reports that uh, he was like, hey, um, by the way... You know, I need. I'm gonna have to have access to this, and I'd like to be able to, to um, take apart some of your guys' dead bodies, basically, and kind of check them out. And they were like, "Yeah, no problem." What if the you fuck? Ch- yeah, they were like, "He was See, like this." Uh, my stuff was all cited sources, so this could be just a bogus thing from YouTube. I don't know. But you know, with it being said, and it's so familiar to the case, and everyone wants to blame the Sweeney, which okay. he was never prosecuted or convicted. Nope. So. What I'm think I, I don't remember the whole circumstances, but I basically think that they he was like, Hey, um, is would it be okay if I chopped up some bodies over there for science or whatever? And they were like, Yeah, I think he snuck some of his own in because it was right next to his practice. Really? Yes. I am missing a page. Please go on. Okay. So I think Sweeney did it, honestly. Um, I mean, I'm not a case expert or anything. I found my last page. Most investigators consider the last murder to have been in 1938 with the Sweeney, right? Elliot Ness. Okay, so Congressman Martin L. Sweeney, that's why he was never convicted. Sweeney died in the veterans. Oh, no, that's all. I went over all my notes. I had some. Elliot Ness was important because he brought down, like, Al Capone and all these big gangsters of the time. And that was, I believe after this no this was that was all before this okay Okay, so elliot ness was actually just about to retire he just thought imagine that's how you go out you're like wait what the and how do you land this job before he was working there before these killings happened i believe and he was just like what the fuck he was trying to just kind of coast into retirement cleveland's a great place business and then all of this stuff starts coming out and they're dropping dead bodies in front of police stations in his office and he's just like all right we got to get this done so that's when he rounded up his police force and was like all right we're gonna burn down some homeless shacks watch this dude that was um, (laughs) he he said they're killing homeless people are they all right round them up yep round who up uh the homeless yep uh there's like 63 guys out there this prison only holds a, a couple yeah, come on. We're going to arrest them all. Yep. So they arrested them, and he said that he only arrested the homeless people because he wanted to get fingerprints on all of them. So For if when they, they got were murdered, murdered, yeah. They would be able to Actually, identify the Actually, it was smart, but not everyone sees the other motives. And he also wanted to burn down the um, 
he wanted to burn down the homeless shacks because that would shrink the plot pool. twist. Yeah, that would plot twist. The pool. Elliot Ness was the murderer, and he wanted to burn he's, the he's evidence. Just framing people. <laughs> oh man, yeah, guys, this this was actually we don't usually do. I, this is not true crime. No, this is paranormal crime. Paranormal crime. Obviously, there's I haunted this to this. And if it if it wasn't um. If it wasn't Dr. Sweeney, I'd be shocked. And from that point, it would have well, to be... the TV show I watch tied it to... I don't have the man's name. You guys are all going to kill me. Tied it to a man that had moved and reloaded, relocated to California. And I don't have the names or the specifics, right? Look at me. This man was tied to the Black Dahlia killings. Oh, really? Yeah. The Black Dahlia killing is very interesting. Same, t- same deal. Hmm. Interesting. But... With not me giving all the facts, who knows? Mm. Obviously, the killing stopped after Sweeney was committed. I think it was probably like uh, Ed Gein's grandpa. Uh, yeah. So Sweeney spent the rest of his life in the mental asylum. Is that right? And died. Yes. And the so. killings abruptly stopped when Dr. Sweeney went to the mental institution. And when Elliot Ness left Cleveland. And mm. when Frank Dolezal died. I feel like Frank just kind of got the the of shitty end of the What stick. if it was fucking Frank? I don't know, because Frank's just Imagine like, sitting there at your me. shanty whorehouse, and you're sitting there with your friends, the black girl. What was her name? Rose Wallace. What? Okay, this is where this is weird. Because he What knew if all he did three. kill Rose? I don't know. And that was the different. I don't know, but Frank Dolezal knew all three of the identified Well, victims. think about it. They arrested 63 men that day in yeah. the shanty. So, I mean, they were all, they had to all know each other or had seen each other around. Yeah, you'd think so. At the time. I know that's always moving. People are always leaving. That's also why it was so hard at the time because people were jumping track, leaving all the time. Yeah. So. I don't know. I think, I don't know, man. What if Dr. Sweeney just, like, just enjoyed amputating limbs too much in the army and then he got out and he's just like, wow. It's got too many ties. Let's give Dr. Sweeney a one, two, or three rating. One, he is the ki- or he is not the killer. Two, uh, it's actually pretty feasible that he is. And three, hold on to your asshole. Doctor Sweeney killed this dude, or killed these thirteen victims, or twelve victims. Griffin, we'll start you out. I say three. Aaron, three. I'm gonna give it a two. There's no. always that slight thought. Yeah, I mean, he was I ne- can see both. The both fact things. that he was never prosecuted. What if? Okay, so here's the thing. What if his congressman didn't want to be humiliated? He's like Ness. I know he's crazy. I'll get him committed. Do not ruin my name. Mm. And he'll never kill again. I don't know. There's so much that goes into Dr. I just, I don't know. The fact that it remains. And I, why hasn't this one been talked about like all the other ones, like the Zodiac or anything like that? I think because uh, I think they're like putting a face to the case. You the know, Zodiac like, was never caught. I know, but you think of... Uh, I mean, I, you think of Ted Bundy. This one Jeffrey should be Dahmer. talked about more than it is. Yeah. And I'm sure other podcasts talk about it or other networks talk about it if you're into this. But this is one that I have not heard of, and it's awful. I know. You were pu- you were pushing this one pretty hard. I know you've been wanting to do this we one had, for a what, while. Do you guys have the text of what we were going to do? Our next, I have our next few episodes already planned out, and... Because we, we're having trouble all meet up, so this is pretty sporadic. And that's fine. We're already, we have enough, we have episodes in our queue. 
But we're going to record three or four in one day and and release them over time. As we go. So we have the Kingsbury Butchers this episode. Right. (laughs) The Michigan Dogman. The Iceman. That's your dude. That's mine. And then uh, uh, we're going to cancel out that one episode of Vampires in New Orleans unless somebody wants us to do that. It's a real problem down there. If you guys want us to do Vampires in New Orleans, email us at the Big Turkey Podcast. At big, g- big Turkey big, Podcast. Big, big at Turkey gmail.com. Podcast at gmail.com. Yep. All right. Elliot Ness, let's give him a rating. Uh, zero or one. I mean, the guy's reputation. Somewhat, uh, pussy. <laughs> what? Two. Ah, uh, he's a good guy. Leave him alone. And three, he's a total badass for being a lawman. What? Three. Three. Three, he's three. a total badass that he's a total lawman. Yeah, three, three. he's a good dude. Uh, Elliot Ness, we've t- everyone's talked about. Yeah, I mean, he brought down some pretty famous guys, man. He had a yeah. very good reputation. He did. But you got to think, man, all of this stuff was back before forensics and all that other crazy stuff that they... So it was Unsolved Mysteries is where they portrayed the possible tarsoil murderer of Cleveland, the Mad Butcher, going out west and being a part of that Black Dahlia case because they were so similar. Anyways, it's been a good episode. A lot of information. We, uh, we'll get back to you guys here soon. Hope you guys are starting to enjoy some more springtime weather and it getting light, dark, or staying light later and whatnot. You guys got anything before we go? I hope everyone enjoyed their uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day. Safely. And, uh, yeah, safely. No drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. It's unacceptable. Wear yep. green. What? Anyways. I didn't hear you. Everyone enjoy. We'll see you all around. It's Tyler from the Big Turkey and the Fat American Dream. Did you know a group of turkeys is called a rafter and not a flock? Join our rafter at anchor.fm slash big turkey. Click that support button and thanks for listening, guys. Mm-hmm.